0: So Father, we stand in here once again this morning to proclaim your goodness, to remember your unrelenting mercy and kindness to us in giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you that in eternity past, you saw us in our sin, you saw us in our brokenness, you saw us in our bondage and in our rebellion and our rejection of you and you did not turn your back on us, you pursued us. In love, you you foreknew us, you predestined us, you adopted us as your own children through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, that's just a goodness that we we can't begin to reckon with this morning. So fathers, we open up your word, help us to see this goodness clearly. Or as we come to your word this morning, we ask that we'd use it to sharpen us, to change us, to transform us, to quicken us, to, to tra- change us from one more degree of glory, Lord, to the next, to make us more like your son, Jesus. So Father, I ask, will you just speak through me this morning a word that will both edify your church and glorify your name. Sanctify us, Lord, in the truth of your word, because your word is truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat, and as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24 together this morning. If you're here today as our guest, my name's Taylor, and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. We're honored to have you worshiping with us here today, and over the last few weeks, our church family has been in a message series through Matthew chapter 23 called Bad Religion. We have been looking at the dangers of religious pride, of toxic fundamentalism, of equating our own words, our own traditions, our own ways is being equally authoritative with the word of God. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaks his harshest words that we see him speaking in all of the gospels. And he's not speaking them to a lost and broken and rebellious world as much as he's speaking them to the uh, toxic religious culture and systems and corrupt practices of his day. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus pronouncing woes, statements of judgment, statements of condemnation that are born out of a, a deep sense of grief over something that's broken. So, week one, we saw Jesus pronouncing the woe of shutting the kingdom door, uh, shutting the door of the kingdom in the faces of those who would seek to know the Lord. The second woe that Jesus pronounces is the woe of making legalistic disciples, of, of multiplying our sinful traditions and our sinful rebellion into the lives of others as we add to the Word of God. Last week, we saw the woe of making empty promises, of, of getting away uh, or getting around obedience to the Word of God uh, by making very religious sounding, spiritual Excuses, churched up language uh, that will often hide behind to not do the things that the Lord has called us to do. And we're going to continue in a very similar thread this morning, uh, as we will see a picture of the Pharisees hiding behind their obedience in the small things to justify their negligence in the big things. If you're following along in your notes this morning, uh, that's where we're going to be going together in Matthew chapter 23. When I was a junior in high school, I got my first real job. I had lots of uh, off and off jobs for, for several years. My parents always made me work in some capacity, but my first real job, like punching in, punching out, getting a paycheck every couple of weeks, uh, was with Jersey Mike's, still my favorite sandwich shop to this day. Uh, new location had opened up just about a mile away from our house, so before I have my driver's license, I'd walk to and from work on most days, The owner was a member of the church that my family attended. And I remember I'd been on staff there for just a couple of weeks and it was a Saturday morning and we knew it was going to be really busy. There was a big construction project happening nearby. And so uh, before the restaurant opened, our owner, manager, uh, they were reminding us and said, hey, lunch is going to be really busy today. We need all hands on deck. And so my place that day was going to be on the sandwich line. Mike, the owner, had said, hey, Taylor, I also also want you to keep an eye on the cookies because when those start running low, I want you to run and make more. And so uh, we're, uh, as predicted, busy that day around lunchtime, but then the line dies down a little bit. I see we're running low on cookies. So just trying to take initiative and do what I'm supposed to do. I run to the back and I start making more. Well, then about 15 minutes later, our assistant manager pops in his head in the back. He goes, Taylor, what in the world are you doing back here? I was like, I'm, I'm back here making cookies. Like Mike told me to make cookies. Like, no, we, we need you up here right now. And so uh, I jumped back on the sandwich line. We had a line that was out the door basically. And so uh, once it died back down, I felt bad. I was like, man, I've only been on the job a couple weeks. I feel like I really dropped the ball here. I went to our assistant manager. I was like, Brooks, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Mike told me to keep an eye on the cookies. And I didn't realize that he'd gotten busy. He said, no, it's okay. I, I overreacted a little bit. He, and, and what he was uh, trying to communicate to me in that moment, what was this? He said, it's not that making the cookies was unimportant. It's just, that in that moment, there was something that was more important. We had customers in front of us, the line was going out the door. He explained, he was like, You know, we're probably not going to lose a lot of customers on being out of cookies, uh, but we will lose a lot of customers if the line's too long and we're not capable of making sandwiches. And so when we open up Matthew chapter 23 and we look at verses 23 and 24 today, we'll see from the words of Jesus that every command we are given in Scripture is important. If, if we find it in the Word of God, it's a commandment that's given to us as followers of Jesus. It is important. But according to Jesus, there are some matters of the law that carry a little bit more weight than others. Everything that God has given us is important, but according to Jesus, some things matter just a little bit more. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the words of Jesus as he shows us what matters most. So from Matthew chapter 23, let's read together this morning, verses 23 and 24. Is the fourth woe pronounced by Jesus. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. If you're a right in your Bible type of person, I'd really encourage you just to circle or underline that word weightier. Write it down somewhere, maybe in your notes, but just, just pay attention to that word. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These, as in things like tithing, which was the example he was using with them, you ought to have done. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, with the others being justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. As we've studied Matthew chapter 23, we've seen a few different contexts where Jesus uses this word hypocrisy. The the first way he uses the word hypocrisy that we saw in week one is the way most of us tend to think of hypocrisy. It's someone who says one thing and does another. But then we see also from the teachings of Jesus that hypocrisy is not just saying one thing and doing another, it could be like the Pharisees doing the right thing, but from the wrong motivation. We remember from a couple of weeks ago that the issue with the Pharisees wasn't that they weren't giving. It wasn't that they weren't fasting. It wasn't that they, they weren't praying. It's that they were doing these things from the wrong motivation, which was to be seen by others. But this this morning, we see a third angle here on hypocrisy, which Jesus describes as doing good things as a cover for neglecting the most important things. This is what's a little bit different about what we see happening in verses 23 and 24 today. In the previous weeks, we've really seen Jesus address sins of commission. The Pharisees and the scribes are doing things that they should not be doing. This morning, Jesus is addressing a sin of omission. They're not doing something they were supposed to be doing. And what they were doing is they were uh, hiding behind their obedience and what Jesus calls some of the less weighty things like tithing to justify their negligence in the weightier matters of the law, the principles upon which the law is built, which were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So if you look in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 27, it made it clear that the people of God, they were to give 10% of their produce, 10% of their livestock for uh, the support of the temple, for the building up uh, of the nation, of the people. This was built into the law. And the Pharisees followed this law to the T, and not just at the bare minimum, they actually went above and beyond. So up to this point, we've mostly seen Jesus condemning the actions of the scribes and Pharisees, but this is an area where Jesus actually commends them. He says to them, he says, listen, you guys are tithing even of your mint and your dill and your cumin. These were like spices and herbs. that They weren't just giving 10% of their money. They weren't just giving 10% of their livestock. They were giving 10% of their herb garden and their plants. I mean, they were going way above and beyond the requirement of the law. So Jesus commends them for this. I mean, think about for a moment, if you've got uh, like a window box hanging off of your kitchen, or if you've got a raised bed in your backyard, it was the action of the Pharisees to go take 10%, even of those plants, even of those herbs, and give them as a contribution. Jesus commends them for this. Think about it in modern day context. If you were to, you know, put on a jacket and have that amazing discovery we like to have, which is it's a jacket you haven't worn in two years, and man, there's a dollar bill in that right pocket. If you were a Pharisee, your first impulse would have been to give 10 10 cents of that dollar. And so Jesus commends them for this. They were faithful in following to the T that these matters of, of obedience that were commanded to them in Scripture, but they did it to the neglect of what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Everything that God has given us matters, but according to Jesus, there's some things that matter just a little bit more. And so what we find in verses 23 and 24, according to Christ, are the things that matter most. And we see first this morning, what matters most according to Jesus is justice. Jesus is is really calling back to the words of the prophet Micah in Micah 6, 8, when he talks about mercy, justice, and faithfulness. We uh, looked at this passage of scripture last week. It was one of our public readings, how the prophet is asking, what type of sacrifice could I bring to the Lord? What offering could I give? What sacrifice could I make? And the prophet says, no, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justly. Everyone say do We're going to come back to that, to do justly, to love mercy or to love kindness or to love steadfast love and to walk humbly or to walk faithfully with your God. Jesus says what matters most first is justice. It's justice. That God is just means that he is fair and he is impartial to all people. That God is just means that he's fair and he is impartial. It didn't, uh, it's not that tithing didn't matter, that the Pharisees were doing these things. It's just that Jesus said, this is something that mattered a little bit more. He said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the weightier matters. Now, not trying to play tricks here this morning. That word weightier, it simply just means heavier or or carrying a little bit more weight. So that's not that the other matters were unimportant. It's just that according to Jesus, some matters were more important. So when we talk about justice, just before uh, we have an opportunity to to convolute this, we just mean in its purest sense, God's fair and impartial treatment of all people. Here's how we see the justice of God proclaimed throughout Scripture. You might just want to jot these references down and, and come back to them in your community groups a little bit later. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, the prophet says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Psalm 67, 4, the psalmist says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, with fairness, with impartiality, and guide the nations upon the earth. Psalm 103, verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And how specifically does he do this? In what context do we see this word justice used elsewhere in Scripture? We go to Psalm chapter 146. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God himself is just. He executes justice for his people, and he calls us to do justly and execute and pursue justice ourselves. This should be very, very simple for us this morning. It should be very, very simple for us this morning. But unfortunately, this word justice, as it tends to happen in our culture, it's a word that has been corrupted and hijacked by those on the ideological extremes, even within the church. So on the far left within the church, you have those who would compromise the word of God, who would compromise the integrity of the message of the gospel in the name of accomplishing social justice. But then as usual, you've got on the opposite, far right extreme, the overreaction are those who are completely ignoring injustice, who dismiss conversations about justice out of concern that it might corrupt the message that's given to us in the word of God. Scripture lays it out for us clearly. God is just. He's a God of justice. He pursues and executes justice. We are called to be just. We are called to pursue and execute justice. It should not be complicated, but we've made it this way. And and listen, but before I go any further this morning, you, you just need to understand if you're going to be in the 21st century, a follower of Jesus Christ who genuinely concerns about biblical justice, meaning that you're not going to compromise the integrity of the gospel and you are going to pursue practically justice in this world, you are going to face hate from both of the ideological extremes. And this is my encouragement to you this morning. When it happens, ignore it. Just ignore it. It's a good Southern proverb that I think we would all do well to remember this morning. If you wrestle with a pig, you will both get dirty, but the pig likes it. (laughs) If you're gonna pursue justice, if you're gonna uphold a biblical definition of justice, if you're going to do the things that scripture clearly calls followers of Jesus to do, to care for the widow, to care for the orphan, to care for the immigrant, to care for the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, listen, you're gonna have some on the far right, they're immediately gonna go virtue signaler, social justice warrior, Cultural Marxists, listen, I know we've all learned how to use the Google on the internet machine, but but let's not be lazy with these accusations. These are things scripture clearly calls us to do. At the same time, when, when someone hits the brakes a little bit because they're concerned that we're compromising the gospel in the name of pursuing justice, don't accuse them of being uncaring about injustice. But we have to do both. It's like we've forgotten in the 21st century church, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can uphold the integrity of the word of God, and you can walk faithfully in doing the things that the word of God has called us to do. Jesus condemns the Pharisees because they ignored injustice. They didn't care about justice. They were checking all the boxes on the religious chore chart, but Jesus said there are weightier matters. The first of that was justice. The second matter that Jesus calls our attention to is mercy. It's mercy. James 1.27 uh, shows us practically what, what mercy ministry might look like, what justice ministry looks like even for the modern church today. James one twenty seven. we we've talked a lot about bad religion over the last few weeks, but what is good religion? What is pure religion? This is what we find in James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Church, let's not be guilty of making complicated what the word of God has made clear. We are called to faithfully proclaim the message, but we're also faithfully called to faithfully practice what the message commands us to do. It's not an either or, it's a both and. So what matters most is justice. Second is mercy. The Pharisees gave of their money, but they withheld their mercy. The religious culture that they had created was one in which they they eagerly waited for people to stumble. They waited for people to fall so that they could exact in their eyes justice and vengeance against them because of their sin. I think one of the most powerful examples of this from the gospel accounts comes from John chapter eight. It's a woman who's caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus and they say, our law says that she should be stoned. What do you have to say? And then in the supreme act of coolness in all of the New Testament, Jesus gets down and he starts to write in the sand. We have no idea what he wrote. But then he stood up from his writing. He looked at the crowd. He was ready to condemn her. And he says, I'll let you without sin be the first to cast a stone. And what does the crowd do? They walk away. He stoops down in the ground. He looks at the woman. He says, who is left to condemn you? She says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. You go and sin no more. He showed her mercy. He showed her mercy. Ephesians 2 tells us of our God that he is rich in mercy. He has a wealth of mercy. He has an abundance of mercy. He has a storehouse of mercy. He has new every single morning mercy. Unrelenting kindness that he pours out towards his children. I think, church, one of my deepest pastoral concerns of the state of our culture today is that we are a people who lack mercy. One of the reasons why we love these labels, one of the reasons why we love to quickly identify whether or not people are our political and ideological enemies, because then we feel justified in not showing them mercy. As long as I can convince myself that I'm defending truth, that I'm upholding the integrity of the word of God, that'll excuse about any sin under the sun. I can be arrogant, I can be condescending, I can be sarcastic, I can be cutting, I can slander you, I can create straw man arguments, I can do all of these things as long as I'm quote unquote defending truth. We're increasingly becoming a people without mercy. Why is it when someone is shot and killed and we see it on the news, the first first move for followers of Jesus Christ isn't just to have hearts that break. What do we have to do? We start dividing into the sides. We start listening to the narrative. It's like we wait to see which side of the political narrative it falls on before we can decide if we're upset about it. Where is our mercy? Do we not feel this? When we take the word mercy, what we mean is is that God has withheld from us the wrath that we deserve. The reality is all of us are deserving of wrath. And the reality is people are going to do things to us and against us that are deserving of some sort of justice or retribution. But can we trust as followers of Christ that vengeance belongs to the Lord? Can can we trust that it's in his hands? Can we trust that the day will come, church, when ultimate justice will prevail? Every wrong that has ever been committed in this world will be righted before the throne of Jesus Christ. That's why I believe a worldview without God is about the most hopeless worldview you can imagine. Because that means that every injustice that's ever committed, it will never be righted. The world's just a cold, dark, and broken place, but God in his mercy, he has corrected injustice. He's ultimately corrected this through the cross where his perfect justice was exacted, not against us, but against his son in our place. He showed us mercy and he withheld from us his wrath as it was poured out on his son, Jesus. He, he says of the Pharisees in verse 24, he says, they, they swallow a camel to strain out a gnat. Now, uh, much to the joy of seven-year-olds anywhere, that, that is in fact Jesus making a bathroom joke. Swallowing a camel to strain out a gnat. Jewish culture, uh, camels and gnats were both the largest and the smallest unclean animals. In order to filter out their wines to make sure it wasn't corrupted, the Jewish people would would strain out the wine to make sure that it didn't pick up any gnats. And so they would go to these extraordinary lengths to make sure their bodies were not corrupted. We saw this last week through the work of, of whitewashing tombs. Or Excuse me, we'll see that next week, the work of whitewashing tombs. So they go to these extraordinary lengths to, to make sure uh, they did not fall into sin. Jesus, in saying that they would swallow a camel to strain out a gnat, what he's saying is that they were so obsessed over the minutia that they were missing out on the big picture. We, the language we might use today is, is making a mountain out of a molehill or missing the forest for the trees. And when you talk about a, a really toxic form of legalism and fundamentalism, that's at, it, at its base is what it does. It, it makes mountains out of molehills. It makes every issue a gospel issue. Like how you dress on Sunday morning is just as important as the message that's preached. It's this ever-shrinking circle of, of you've got to meet this, ex- this extraordinary, narrow, distinct set of criteria or you're out. And, and listen, this is not exclusive to the right or to the left because that, that self-righteousness exists on both extremes. So so we have to be very, very careful that this modern cancel culture type movement of you better see every nuance of this exactly the way I see it, or I'm cutting you off and I'm out. That is not maturity. That is immaturity. Can we as followers of Jesus learn to have a conversation with some nuance to to get offline a little bit, maybe sit down some more at coffee shops, have face-to-face interaction, flesh and blood interaction with other human beings. This is making us a people without mercy. The digital age has done much of this to us. We're online, we can just go after people, complete strangers. How much of us for social media, it's it's gotten us to this place where, where the person on the screen, it's no longer a person to be loved, it's a profile to be attacked. And we justify these things and in our hearts, we become people without mercy. Jesus says what matters most is justice. What matters most is mercy. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. So third, what matters most is faithfulness justice and mercy and faithfulness. Not just in the small things, but faithfulness in the big things. David Platt, in reflecting on this particular passage of Scripture, asked the question, do we pride ourselves on following convenient laws or do we spend ourselves expressing costly love? Doing justly and loving mercy should come as the spontaneous overflow of a heart that is walking faithfully and humbly with the Lord. We cannot preach that God is just and then ignore injustice. That's unfaithfulness. We cannot preach God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ and then be a merciless people against our ideological opponents. That's unfaithfulness. And Jesus doesn't tell them here, listen, stop focusing on the small things so that you can focus on the big things. He doesn't set it up as an either or, it's a both and. He says, do both. These, things like tithing, he says, you ought to have done without neglecting the way to your matters. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. And just ask the question this morning, why is it like the Pharisees, we can be so quick to hold up our spiritual resume to justify our sin in other areas? Why is it we are so quick to run to the Christian chore chart? We're so quick to hide behind, well, I've been going to church for this long and we've never missed a Sunday and I give this regularly and this faithfully and I've, I've hit every box on the Bible reading plan this year. Why is it easier to preach a message of legalistic works? Why is it easier to hide behind a message of legalistic works? Because it is easier, much easier to preach and to practice a message that's about modifying your behavior than it is to preach a message about transforming your heart. And the gospel is not a message of behavior modification. It's a message of heart transformation. It's from the inside out. We can hide behind our works. Here's the reality. You, You could start giving faithfully this morning and do that without Jesus. You can read your Bible and not know Jesus. You can come to church and not know Jesus. But friend, you know what you are absolutely powerless to do? Is transform the desires of your heart. We can't do this. We won't become a merciful people unless we fully experience the mercy of God. We won't be a people who pursue justice unless we truly understand the justice of God. We will not be a people who walk humbly and faithfully with the Lord if we do not know the Christ who has emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and has faithfully committed himself to us. We cannot be hiding behind our obedience in the small things to justify negligence in the big things. So so just as a couple points of application this morning, what can we be doing to make sure that we stay focused on what matters most? How is it that we can be people who are not hiding behind obedience in the small things to justify negligence in the big things? Just from what Jesus shows us this morning, we see first, we need to be faithful in the small things. Remember, Jesus did not say, hey, stop doing all these other things so that you can focus on the big things. And he said, these you ought to have done. And so particularly, he is commending the, their faithfulness in tithing. Now, anytime this subject comes up, you know, we ask the question, does that 10% standard, does that still apply to New Testament Christians? And listen, I'll be the first person to tell you this morning, we don't have a verse in the New Testament that says, thou shalt continue giving 10% just like they did in the Old Testament, Like, if you're looking for that verse, it's just not there. So I've always just asked myself the question, well, do we have any reason to believe they started doing less than that? Personally, I think that answer is no. When we read the book of Acts, it says that the first century believers, they saw nothing as belonging to themselves. Not only do we have no reason to believe they started giving less, we actually have every reason to believe they started giving more. They were selling their possessions. They went way above and beyond the 10%. Remember, the 10% can can actually be a really uh, easy smokescreen to set up to justify the fact that we're not doing as much as we could be. And so I believe that's a good starting point for us still today, but nevertheless, we're not going to lay down a standard that the Word of God doesn't. This is what we find from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 through 7. Passage many of us are probably familiar with here. Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's, it's simple for us. Not, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But church, you know that the sad news is that the statistics continually reflect to, to show that the modern church, we're really struggling to faithfully uphold 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a 2020 Christianity Today article uh, that uh, was citing some research from the Barna group says uh, of Christians, particularly in our Western context, only 5% of church members are giving regularly with households making above $75,000 a year being the least charitable. Uh, Nationwide, on average, Christians are giving only about two and a half percent of our income. This is from a 2017 uh, research from Barna. I want to talk to my generation here for just a second, millennial group, that this is just really, really sad to me. 2017 study showed that millennials are are giving on average less than $50 a year to charitable organizations. And so for my generation, again, I want to talk to us here for, for just a second, because one thing I love about our generation is that when it comes to these matters like justice and mercy, we're like, yes, amen. Raise your voice, see the wrongs in the world. We want to see them be made right, but it's almost like we have the opposite problem of the Pharisees. Like it's easy for us to get online and virtue signal our justice, like you'll change your social media profile picture. But when it comes to supporting causes that are actually making a difference in biblical justice in the world, we just don't have money for that. To, to do things that would actually make a difference when it comes to the small things that Jesus calls us to be obedient in, this is abundantly clear that our generation, we're really, really struggling with this. And, and listen, it breaks my heart because I hear it all the time. It's like, well, yeah, but you know, jobs aren't paying as much and student loan debt and this, that, and the other, listen. It, it blows my mind within my generation. We've got money for data plans. We've got money for Spotify Premium. We've got money for DoorDash. We've got money for going on every weekend trip that we get invited to. But when it comes to supporting biblical justice financially, when it comes to supporting the ministry of the church, it's like that's a bridge too far. And we cannot be guilty of hiding behind our concern, at least our outward concern for the big things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness to justify our negligence in the small things because Jesus says we need to be people who are doing both. We quite literally put our money where our mouth is to show that we genuinely care about these things. I wanna tell you just a quick story this morning, this is just personal testimony. So Emily and I got married in 2010 and I was finishing up seminary I was volunteering about 20 hours a week, uh, serving in student ministry, serving in worship ministry at a church up in Charlotte. Um, And I was working a full-time retail position, making 24 grand a year with no benefits. I would say that we were broke, but we couldn't have afforded the E at the end of the word. I mean, we we were, you talk about just absolutely strapped. And Emily, the first few months we get married, she was uh, looking for a job, had one that didn't pan out. And so it was really just that one income for a while. And, And I'll just be perfectly transparent. The first few months that we were married, we were not faithful in the small things but we were not as faithful in our giving as we should have been. It was there, but it was very, very inconsistent. It was always about what's left over. And it struck both of us kind of sitting in a worship service one night, hearing the testimony of a missionary and the Lord just prompted it, laid it on our hearts. And we, we basically just, just put our, our flag in the ground and said, hey, no matter what, this is gonna be the standard in our family. We're gonna get paid. And the very first thing we're gonna do is give. And guys, let me just encourage you with this. 11 years later, 11 years later, we have never failed to pay a bill on time. And we have never failed to have what we need because the Lord has continually provided. Now, understand it, we're not living large. I'm driving like a 10 year old Kia with 130,000 miles, okay? So just hear me on that this morning. There's a huge difference between the Lord providing all of your wants and providing all of your needs. And The Lord will provide your need, but we are called to be faithful in the small things. Do not hide behind your concern publicly for all of the big things, church, to justify our negligence in the small things. But second, in the same way, Jesus reminds us here that we should not neglect the big things. Every command matters, but some commands matter a little bit more. So maybe you're on the opposite extreme of my generation, and you are acing the Christian chore chart. Like you've got it on your refrigerator at home with the gold stars and everything, right? All the Sundays you've made, you give twice a month. You've hit every box on the Bible reading plan this year. You've gone on mission trips and you've got it all there. But if you're being just totally honest, you don't care a whole lot about the injustices in our world today. If you're being honest, there's not a whole lot of mercy in your heart for your political and for your ideological enemies. And all of that proves that we are not walking faithfully and humbly with the Lord. Everything matters, but some things, church, just matter a little bit more. And this is what we have to understand this morning, because anytime we talk about pursuing justice, the, 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 I've been speaking into these subjects for over 10 years, and the objections have never changed. Our minds immediately start saying, well, listen, that doesn't mean people can just break laws. Well, listen, that, that, that there is a way to, to help people in a way that actually hurts them, that enables their behavior. We can't do that. There are secular ideologies. There is Marxism out there that can shape these conversations. Listen, hear me say this this morning. Just because these things can be done wrongly doesn't mean that they can't be done rightly. The Lord has not commanded us to have concern for the widow, for the orphan, for the oppressed, for the foreigner, for the hungry, for the thirsty. He would not have given us these commands if we were not capable of following them faithfully. There's a reason he's given this to us in his word. And it's, we've come to this place where uh, even on, on some of the far right extremes in our culture, just like the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, they're hiding behind concern for what might happen to the message to justify doing nothing at all. And so they will quickly malign, quickly cut off many, we'll t- speak more into this next week, faithful followers of Christ, some of the greatest gospel warriors of this generation, their names and their reputations are just being tarnished by those on the far right of the ideological extreme because they're just trying to have a conversation about justice. You cannot hide behind concern for what, ha- what might happen as an excuse to not obey what the word of God has called us to do. We can't neglect these things. When we neglect these things, we find ourselves like the Pharisees standing in opposition to Jesus, and that's not a place that we want to be. There's even some who have gone as far as to say when we open up our Bibles, well, all of this language about serving widows and orphans and immigrants, that's not about physical widows, orphans and immigrants, that's about spiritual widows, Spiritual orphans, spiritual immigrants, everything's been spiritualized. Well, again, the book of James speaks again to this very, very clearly today. James 2, verses 14 through 17, one of the clearest passages of Scripture in the whole New Testament. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, he's not talking about spiritual clothing and spiritual food. He's talking about actual clothing and actual food. The verse doesn't mean the opposite of what it says. It says what it says. And one of you says to them, go go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He says, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. To ignore justice, to ignore mercy, to ignore faithfulness is to be walking in a faith that's dead. It's to stand in opposition to Christ. It doesn't matter if you're acing the rest of the chore chart, if you were neglecting the weightier matters. God is a God who is just, who executes justice. He calls us to do justly. He calls us to execute justice in this world. Because listen, church, it's through those actions that our world sees most clearly the most important act of justice ever accomplished, which is what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. When you talk about the collision of God's justice and his mercy, Tim Keller has said so well that at the cross, God's love provided what his justice demanded. Again, we wouldn't get away with sin, but what happened at the cross is that God in his justice, he demanded perfection. And that's a perfection you and I could never give. That's something you and I could never attain to. But then in his mercy, instead of executing that justice against us who were guilty, Jesus Christ in our place, 2 Corinthians 5 said, became sin. God's love, God's justice demanded perfection and in his mercy in his love, he provided perfection. And in doing this, he demonstrated to us his faithfulness, Christ in total humility, Paul says in Philippians two, he emptied himself, he took the form of a servant. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He made himself lower and lower and lower. At the cross, we see perfectly God's justice. We see perfectly God's mercy. We see perfectly God's faithfulness. And this is what the world most desperately needs to see through us. Listen, putting food in someone's stomach doesn't save their soul. There's no question the most important calling of the church is the work of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's a lot easier to believe that God can satisfy the hunger of your soul if someone has satisfied the hunger of your stomach. This doesn't save anyone, but it makes our message a little bit more believable. If you've not written it down the last few weeks, I hope you write it down this morning. We are to be people of orthodoxy, meaning we need to proclaim a true message. We need to be people of orthopraxy, walking in faithful practice. I don't know about you, I don't want to be a church that just preaches justice and doesn't practice justice. I don't wanna be a church that just preaches mercy and doesn't practice mercy. I don't wanna be a church that just preaches humility and faithfulness and doesn't practice humility and faithfulness. That is the difference between the bad religion that Jesus condemns and the pure and undefiled religion that Jesus commends. And that's what he's calling us to today. So you just bow your heads with me here for a few moments as we close out our time together this morning. We're gonna come to the table for communion where we see visibly this perfect collision of God's justice and mercy. He demanded perfection and he provided perfection. In his mercy, he withheld his wrath against us and he poured it out on his son, Jesus. He proved his faithfulness to us so that we could walk humbly with him. This morning, we had already just a moment of of confession and repentance that Ashton led us through earlier on, but I just wanna encourage you before we come to the table one more time today. Maybe just through examination, are, are there some small things where you've not been as faithful as you should be? And maybe you just need to confess that before the Lord and through repentance, ask him to change your heart, to change your mind, to align your will to his so that you can faithfully, humbly walk in obedience to him. Again, maybe you're a, the checklists, but if you're just being totally honest, you've neglected the weightier matters. You've turned a blind eye to injustice. You've justified not being a merciful person in the name of defending truth. And because of this, it's puffed you up with spiritual religious pride. You're not walking in humility. You're not walking faithfully with the Lord. Wherever you are this morning, just lay that at the feet of Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, it means entering into that collision of justice and mercy. Calling on the name of Jesus Christ and being saved. Knowing that in his justice, your sin has been paid for in his mercy, his wrath against you has been withheld. And through faith, you can call on the name of Jesus Christ, trust in his perfect life, death and resurrection and be saved. That's you this morning, just give that to him. So Fathers, we come to this table to be reminded of your justice and your mercy and your faithfulness. We come with the sobering reminder of what it costs you to save us. But in your love, you withheld nothing. You could not have given us more than you gave us when you gave us Jesus. We thank you for this. So as we come to this table, as we continue to confess and to repent and to reflect and to commit and to sing, we just ask that it would all be a pleasing aroma to you today, that you'd be glorified through the worship and the praises of your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen.